Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Rabbi Eric Walker continues his examination of Genesis 3.15 and how that prophecy connects to every other prophecy in the Bible. We recently shared the good news of Southwest Radio Ministries and Prophecy in the News, joining in a special gospel partnership that includes bringing back the Prophecy in the News magazine. The very first issue is out right now, so make sure you're not left out. Subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine today. With your subscription, you get a print and digital version and access to our online streaming platform, FaithNet TV. Call today and subscribe to the Prophecy in the News magazine. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or go to our website, swrc.com. Another outstanding resource we have is our new listener pack. Inside the new listener pack is a collection of resources designed to welcome you to Watchmen on the Wall. And every new listener pack includes a free gift. So make sure and request your free new listener pack when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Rabbi Eric Walker returns today to expose anti-Semitism as Satan's agenda in a way most of us have never heard. Messianic Rabbi Eric Walker is back with us. He is the author of a book that we are offering our listeners, 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy. The verse is Genesis 315. It says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Rabbi Walker searched for the answer as to why Genesis 315 was never addressed in the Hebrew Bible by the scholars. And so when you find the answer, you will be greatly enlightened. I assure you that that is true. Rabbi Walker is back with us. We will continue our discussion of his book, 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy. Thank you, Rabbi Walker. It's a blessing to have you back with us. Pastor Larry, what a great honor and privilege it is to be back with you and the Southwest Radio Church and your family of faith there. Wonderful opportunity to share this news. Well, let's for a moment talk about Ishmael. He has an adversarial role. Ishmael against Messiah's seed line, and out of his seed line would culminate an unholy alliance whose sole purpose would be the annihilation of the Jews. So it seems to me, and I know I've read your book, that Ishmael's birth and his seed line quite clearly grows out of the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. It's very, very clear, and of course you follow it through the whole Bible. But tell us a little bit about Ishmael. We'll go back to the premise of Genesis 3.15. Here Satan is told who's going to crush his head, who's going to bring about his demise, and how he's going to do it, he just doesn't tell him when. And out of that becomes, like anybody on death row today, you would look for an automatic stay of execution. So Satan being as wise and beautiful and cunning as he is, is going to put together a plan that's going to enlist as many people as possible. When you look at the Bible, you see the Bible has various geographic points, and one of the geographic points is up, and the other geographic point is down. Now, the normal compass is northeast, south, and west, but biblically, you have a fourth and fifth dimension, and that's up and down. Up is Jerusalem, down is Egypt, and when you come into the narrative about Hagar, 
and about Abraham and about Ishmael, you see what happens when man begins to meddle with the plans of God. It was not God's instruction or God's desire for Sarah or Sarai to enlist at Hagar to become a midwife and mother of Ishmael. This was something that, one, she took an Egyptian into her household, and there began to be this battle where the infertility of Sarah, and was that something due to Sarah, or was that due to the calling on Abraham and some of the activities that he performed misrepresenting some of the things that weren't true and referring in the half-truths. And I think that God's lesson is there's a way for things to ultimately all things work together for good, but in the process, there is the process, and we have to learn to glean in the process because that's where the learning comes. Mm. It's not in the answer, it's in the process. Right. So the byproduct of this unholy alliance, and it is an unholy alliance, not chosen of God, it is once again manipulated by a woman, but you have another scenario like you have in the Garden of Eden where you had a certain amount of embellishment on the part of a woman, but it was not refuted or stood up for by the man, and therefore he became this almost is the foundation of what we see today as the Jezebel spirit, and you see Abraham being a type of Ahab, being used by a woman to satisfy the desires of a woman for what purpose to keep peace or power or what have you. The birth of Ishmael was something that was not sanctioned by God, and in Genesis 22 is specifically refuted when God gives the instruction to Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah. Now, we read two prophecies about Ishmael. One prophecy is an incredible blessing, that when Abraham intercedes as a father on behalf of his son, and he does it in a loving manner, he says, please consider my son Ishmael, he gives Ishmael 12 provinces to have as kingdoms, and those are the 12 contiguous Muslim nations surrounding Israel. Well, that's expanded to over 55 today, so we know the growth of that influence. The second prophecy is the one that most of us lean on to, and that he will be a wild donkey among men. All the nations of the world will war against him, and he will be live in enmity with his brothers. And so we begin to understand the Sunni and the Shiite difficulty being an internal battle. We see the strife and the difficulty, and we also see the defiance of Ishmael taking an Egyptian wife and having Egyptian children. Therefore, he did not continue in any way in the lineage. It's not that much different than the question of Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to Joseph in the house of Pharaoh and raised in Egyptian lifestyle. And they did not adopt the ways of our people, and therefore we begin to take a look at this identity as Jewish. Is it a seed line? Is it also a practical? Is it ethnicity? Is it bloodline? Is it culture? Is it ideology? A lot of things come into play here, but we very clearly see that there's a seed of Abraham, and the seed line of Abraham is established by God. That's from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. Now, there are some that would say, well, that's not fair. Well, we serve a God whose ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and so uh, fair is not one of the factors in this equation. It is for the sole protection, as was almost, and I can categorically tie it throughout the entire book, 
as well as Scripture, that all the decisions made by God were for the protection of the seed line of Messiah, both for his birth and for his return. Right. Well, one of the tragedies, I think, we see it today in contemporary evangelicalism is the abandonment of the Old Testament. And related to that, you have a chapter titled The Catholic Church as Satan's Army, and then you have another chapter, The Protestant Church as Satan's Army. And I think that's part of that abandonment. So maybe you could talk to us about that. Yeah, and I want to be very clear about those statements, is the doctrines and doctrine and foundational text of Christianity and Protestantism has in there, and it's morphed into a replacement theology that the Church has replaced the Jews because the Jews rejected Jesus. And I want to address once and for all how that's just not even possible. Leviticus 16 is very clear on the Day of Atonement how the sacrifice has to be prepared. Jesus in Matthew 5.17 made it very clear that he did not come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. In order for him to be the fulfillment of the law, he would have to meet the requirements of Leviticus. In his last week, from Palm Sunday until the day of crucifixion, everything was laid out according to Exodus chapter 12, day by day, step by step, examination by examination, until the final day when he was handed over to Pilate, Pilate from Pilate to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. At that point in time, when Rome laid their hands on Jesus, he became the atonement for the nations. Israel also had to lay their hands on Jesus in order for him to become the atonement, the sacrifice for the Jews. Both had to transfer their sin, Levitically, to the sacrifice in order for the sacrifice to be made for the people. Had only Rome laid their hands on Messiah, he would have only been the Messiah for the nations. Had only Israel laid their hands on Messiah, he would have only been the sacrifice for Israel. Both had to do it. And so what became perverted was the accusation that the Jews, number one, rejected Jesus. First of all, the entire Bible is written by Jews, and I would defend Luke's Jewishness, and I can do it legally through the rules of Socratic law and prove to you that he was Jewish. So you have a Jewish book by Jewish authors expressing Jewish thought in multiple languages. You have it in Hebrew, you have it in Aramaic, and you have it in Greek. All are Jewish expressions of thought. The Church is completely abandoned. The Roman Catholic Church adopted in 325 AD the tenets of Constantine, which morphed into Origen and so many others, Joseph Martyr, on and on and on. And then you have the Reformers who ultimately Martin Luther quoted Adolf Hitler, and Adolf Hitler quoted Martin Luther. The anti-Semitism, the anti-Jewish sentiment permeates, and so this idea of boycott, divest, and sanction. We need to get out of the politics of Israel and into the spiritual, biblical nature. First of all, the Bible only mentions three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Jerusalem is the spiritual capital of the world. Jesus is coming back there. Paul was very eloquent in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 made it very, very clear that God is interested in what happens to the Jews. Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. Whatever you did or did not do to the least of my brothers, you did to me. Jesus was Jewish. His brothers were Jewish. The idea of a Gentile being in that sphere of conversation in the context of first century Judaism is not valid. And the hijacking of the Jewish Messiah 
stripping him of all Jewish identity, has robbed the body of believers and convinced them that they don't know whether or not they are sheep or a goat. And it's the goats that are going to be rejected, and the goats are the ones who are the ones who stand against Israel. This is a clarion call for the church to wake up and get back to the biblical roots. Read the text. Don't become Jewish. God doesn't want you to become Jewish. Ephesians 2 says from the two, you have to have two separate people, Jew and Gentile. But for the love of God, for the love of Messiah, remember Jesus' words when he spoke to Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 37-39. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stoned the prophets and rejected the ones sent to you, like a mother hand lost gather hands while I long to gather you back to me, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left desolate. O Jerusalem, you will not see me again until you cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That message to the church is, is you better stand with Israel, you better protect Jerusalem, because right. Jesus is coming back there. And if you want him to come back, it's the Jews that have to call for him. And who's ministering to the Jews? The gospel was to go to the Jews first. I didn't hear about the gospel. I didn't know Jesus was Jewish until I was 45 years old. Mm. Are you going to blame my grandfather, <laughs> my Holocaust-surviving family, my rabbi for not telling me Jesus was Jewish, right. or Cecil B. the Mill, or the Ten Commandments? Come on. I grew up in a Jewish bubble. Jesus was the God of the Gentiles. How much are we missing out mm. on the rich blessing of what we're grafted into, which is our roots? doesn't mean you have to wear and become Jewish. God doesn't want us to become Jewish. He wants us to become one. You've really hit on something I think that's very significant because you see Genesis 3.15 as an explanation of anti-Semitism and why we see it in all of its ugliness down through the centuries. Hostility against Jewish people seems to have been so characteristic of so many cultures and so many eras of the historical past, actually flowing even into the present time and into the church. And I think of some of the things that Martin Luther, no doubt he was a great man, but I think there were two short booklets at the end of his life. They are actually vicious and unbelievably mean-spirited against Jewish people. And as you point out in your book, there are many other examples in the Christian church, although I guess Luther was perhaps one of the most famous who made some awful statements like that. It's true, and it's sad, and it grieves, and it's not because the people in the pews have a replacement theology. It's what they're taught. And so the seminaries are keeping the Old Testament in context. There are a number of great, fabulous, up-and-coming, rising teachers that are trying to awaken the church. But the mainstream denominations are so fearful of change, so fearful because the pastor who has put himself in a position where he's now almost omnipotent won't be omnipotent because mm, he's right. going to have to say, I don't know. Why not surround yourself with people that do know? Listen, I spent 35 years in corporate America. I was extremely successful not because I was very smart, but I had the smartest, the best, the brightest around me, and they made me look good. And I deferred to them in every situation I possibly could. Let's get the pastor's resources. Let's not be a complainer. I don't want this book to be a commentary that tears apart the church and makes people say, oh, I don't want to be a part of this. We're anti-Semitic. We're anti-this. We're anti-that. You know, this study that came out about the pastors, this study that came out about the 
the Catholic Church, all these studies. We're flawed people. Yes, we're flawed people. But let's find a way to go back to the basics and grab a hold. God says through the prophet Jeremiah, when you come to the crossroads, choose the ancient path, and there you'll find your peace. Why can't we? We pray for revival. The revival has to involve Israel. There can be no revival without the restoration of God's place, God's tabernacle, God's dwelling. Why not join together to prepare that place to defeat the Antichrist? Because he's coming. It's going to happen. The covenant's going to be signed by many. The Bible says it will. There are going to be difficult times ahead. But if we're standing on the word and we are unified in power and in glory with power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit behind us, standing on the firm foundation of the word of God beginning in Genesis. The Bible did not begin in Matthew. It began in Genesis. And if we can stand on that rock together, then we can embrace the fullness of that rock. And we can be the ones, the generation, to call for Messiah's return. And it's not because there's not enough Gentiles. What are there, a couple billion Gentiles? Should that not be loud enough to say, <laughs> right. come, Jesus, come? Why is that not loud enough? Because there's no Jewish chorus. And the Bible says he's not coming back unless the Jews in Jerusalem. And we're not going to be in Jerusalem. So who's he talking to? He's talking to leadership. Because when you read it, the day before on that Palm Sunday, the people said it. But the leadership had rejected him before. He's saying to the leadership of Israel, you have to be the ones to call for my return. When you call for my return, I will come back. But not before then. You're not going to see me. Where does he come back? Ezekiel 43, the eastern skies of Jerusalem. We've got to get this right. Time is running out. And if we don't get it right... The people who believe that they're on the right side of this, but yet they divest themselves from Israel. They support denominations that divest themselves from Israel. Right. They support people who believe in replacement theology, that the church is now God's chosen people. Or they have anti-Semitic connections, but yet they say they love Jesus. Anti-Jewish is anti-Jesus. Anti-Israel is anti-Jesus. I'm not talking about the politics. I'm talking about the Jewish state, a place for Jesus to come and to rule and to reign. We all are going to wind up there together. Why would we want to stand against our future home? Well, Rabbi Walker, I praise God for the gifts he's given you. It's wonderful that you can communicate divine truth the way you do, both in your book and in your speaking ministry. So, sir, thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Larry. God bless you. God bless Southwest Radio Church and all who are associated with it. It's been a machaya, a blessing to me. Thank you. Make sure you get a copy of this fascinating two-day conversation with Rabbi Eric Walker. Call 1-800-652-1144 and order your audio CD today. That's 1-800-652-1144. Our featured resource today is Rabbi Eric Walker's new book, 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy. The Genesis of All Prophecy exposes anti-Semitism as Satan's agenda in a way most of us have never heard. The book is prophetic, insightful, and convicting. Order your copy of 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy, when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. 
We were all saddened with the recent school shooting in Texas. Staff evangelist James Collins is here now to answer a question many people have been asking. Where was God during this horrible tragedy? The Bible says in Hebrews 13:5, "Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee." Not again. Not another national tragedy. Television reports use the term active shooter to announce another mass shooting. Like most of you, I was heartbroken to hear of the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. 19 children and two teachers were killed after a gunman barricaded himself inside of a fourth grade classroom at Robb Elementary School and opened fire. The massacre took place on Tuesday, May 24th, just days before the end of the school year. What should have been a time of celebration soon turned into one of grief and agony. My wife and I watched the news reports with shock and horror. We were both in tears. However, my tears turned to anger when an ignorant TV talking head made a stupid comment. He said, "Where was God while all these people were being slaughtered? Where was God, you ask? God was there. He was there with Irma Garcia. Irma, a teacher at Rob Elementary, pushed students on the floor. Then she embraced other children using her body as a shield to protect them. God was there. God gave her the courage to use her own body to protect those precious children. God was there with Amara Jo Garza. Two weeks before the shooting, Amara Jo had her tenth birthday party. Her parents gave her a phone for her birthday. God was there with Amara Jo as she used her phone to call authorities during the shooting, and she died trying to save her classmates. God was there. God was there with Angel Garza, Amara Jo's father. Angel is an emergency medical technician who responded to the shooting scene. He treated a little girl who was covered in blood. The little girl told him that someone had shot her best friend. When Angel asked who her best friend was, the girl said his daughter's name. God was with Angel as he provided medical aid to the wounded. He was still with Angel seven hours later when police confirmed that a marriage Joe had been killed. God was there. God was there with Xavier Lopez just hours before. Ten-year-old Xavier Lopez was lauded at Rob Elementary's honor roll ceremony. God was with Xavier as he brought comfort to the dying. He held the hand of one of his classmates as she breathed her last breath, just before breathing his last. God was there. God was there with Jace Luvanos, age ten. Jason, his cousin, ten-year-old Jayla Nicole Seglero, were inseparable best friends in life, holding each other. Jason and Jayla died together. They died just as they lived together. God was there. God was there with fourth-grade teacher Eva Morales. Morales, who had been an educator for seventeen years, also gave her life protecting her students. Like Irma Garcia, Eva Morales put herself between the shooter and the children. God gave her the bravery to die saving lives. God was there. God was there with Eva Morales's husband, Reuben. Reuben is a police officer in the district. He was one of several officers who responded to the shooting. God gave him the courage to stand down evil. Reuben was shot at by the shooter, but he was not injured. 
God was there. God was there with Nieva Bravo. He was there with Jackie Carrazes. He was there with Jose Flores. He was there with Alana Garcia. He was there with Jace, with Tess, with Annabelle, with Alexandria, with Layla, with Jayla, with Rose. God knew every name. He was there with all 21 who were killed. He was there in every desk and in every seat. God was there in the heart of each and every believer. He brought them comfort with the knowledge that their faith in Jesus Christ had saved them. He was there reaching out nail-pierced hands to pick up those who belonged to him. God was there. God was there with the survivors. He was there with the families and friends of those killed. He was there throughout the community of Uvalde, Texas. He brought comfort. He brought healing. He brought a peace that passes all understanding. He brought Governor Greg Abbott the wisdom to say, all we can do is lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. God was there. Before the smoke had cleared, While there were still bodies in the halls of Robb Elementary School, politicians were on the air saying, we need more gun laws. It's not that simple. When I was growing up, everyone had guns. Kids came to school with loaded rifles and gun racks in the back window of unlocked pickup trucks. Gun safety was taught in my high school. Gun laws were very few. We didn't have background checks or gun registration, but mass shootings were extremely rare. Today, that's no longer true. According to FBI statistics, from 1900 to 1970, America had 28 mass shootings. From 1970 to 2015, America had 273 mass shootings. The increase in shootings has happened despite many more laws aimed at restricting gun ownership. It's not the guns. The problem lies in the human heart that the Bible tells us is desperately wicked. The problem lies in the devil who desperately wants to destroy us. When I grew up, teachers regularly read the Bible and prayed in class. We started each day with the Lord's Prayer and the Pledge of Allegiance. Today, teachers can no longer lead prayer or read the Bible, even on a voluntary basis. One teacher was even disciplined just for having a Bible on her desk. Some schools have suspended students for bringing a Bible to campus. God has been expelled from school. We don't have a gun problem. We have a heart problem. We have allowed God to be expelled from school. We have removed God from our schools, from our homes, and from every aspect of American life. It's time to invite God back into this country. It's time to invite God back to our schools, back to our homes, and back to our hearts. I know that God was there at Robb Elementary School on May 24, 2022, but I would like to ask a question to the television commentator who asked the question, where was God? Where was God when all those children were brutally murdered? Where was God at Robb Elementary School? Where was God, you ask? Did you forget he was expelled? This is James Collins reminding you that the Bible says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. In our resource center today, we have Eric Walker's brand new book, 315, The Genesis of All Prophecy, and the Armageddon Code book with Tim LaHaye, Joel Rosenberg, and Greg Laurie. Order both books today when you call 1-800-652-1144. 
That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Lord willing, we'll be back Monday ready to once again, through Christ, bring clarity to the chaos. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.